0: Welcome everybody to the UDR podcast. I'm Tom Forsyth here with Bill Ward. We're gonna discuss everything recovery, different perspectives and different experiences in recovery with people we know and people around the world. Welcome everybody to our big book study. I'm Tom Forsyth here with Bill Ward. Uh, This study is recorded live every Sunday on Zoom. And we do this live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Mountain Daytime. If you'd like to get more information, you can definitely reach out to us. Uh, Bill is at all on most social media platforms, billward.life. Um, you can also reach out to me at table40.coach. So I hope you enjoyed the Big Book Study. And uh, if you're willing and open-mindedness to get sober, I'm sure you're going to get something from this. Thanks for joining us.
1: So I'm going to start on the uh, second paragraph, but first I want to talk about the number one way in the world to get sober and stay sober is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is the number one way in the world to get sober and to stay sober. It, it, it works when nothing else works. Okay, um, In the doctor's opinion, you'll hear how the psychological measures actually fail. Because that's what the doctor tried. That's what they've been trying for years, even back in 39, and they're still trying it. And everyone's coming up with a new method, but this still is the best way in the world to get sober. The big book is the second most sold book in history. The Bible's number one, and the big book's number two. So, you know, if you seriously got a problem with drunk drugs or alcohol, we got a solution for you. That's it. We do. It's right here. So second paragraph, because this book has become the basic text, textbook, you know, you learn math in in school, you follow a textbook so you can learn exactly how math works. Well, if you want to stay sober and live sober and live a, a vital life, like one that's happy and awesome, we got a text for you if you follow the directions. For our society, it has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery. There exists a strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume describing AA recovery program has been left largely untouched. In the course of revisions made for the second, third, fourth editions, this book hasn't been changed. Why? Because if it ain't broken, don't fix it. This book works exactly the way it is. If you start understanding it better as a sponsor, and you're going to get that here. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So that's it for the first page. Second page, second paragraph, in the third edition, part one, Pioneers of AA was left unchanged. Nine of the stories in part two, they stopped in time, were carried over from the second edition. Eight new stories were added. Part three, they have lost nearly all. All's I really wanna tell you there is there's three sections to the stories in the back of the book. The first section is the Pioneers, the first 100, and it's their stories. So selected stories of the first 100. The second part is stopped in time. People that didn't have to go all the way to the bottom. They could stop when they quit digging and they found a connection with God and they were able to quit drinking. And in the third section, they lost nearly all. That is your low bottom drunk. So if you're a sponsor and you're working with people and you wanna give them something to do and you wanna give them stories, you can direct that type of person. If they're a low bottom, send them to the low bottom, nearly lost all. If they're a high bottom drunk, send them to stopped in time. And if you just want to read some stories about the pioneers and send them to the first section, right? And, and what I want to highlight about the stories is none of the stories are about quitting drinking. The stories are not about stopping drinking. What the stories are about, they're about how these people made a connection with their higher power. Then in turn, they stop drinking. Okay, bottom of the page. All changes made over the years in the big book, AA members found nickname for this volume, have had the same purpose, to represent the current membership of Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately, and thereby to reach more alcoholics. If you have a drinking problem, we hope that you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, it happened to me. Or more importantly, yes, I felt like that. Or most important, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. So all I want to talk about here is look for the similarities. Look for the feelings sometimes in some of the stories in the back of the book. And when we do Bill's story, which will be the very last session of this big book study, because it ties the whole program together. When you read Bill's story, you can see his emotions. You can feel the feelings. And that's what you want. If you're new to a program and you're going to meetings and you, and you keep judging everything and thinking, that's not me, that's not me. You're going to get kicked out the door with some more judgment and, and pride and alcohol and drugs will kick your ass back in here unless it kills you first. Because the reality of this is it's a progressive fatal illness. And if you can open your mind, which is a necessity for this program, you can start listening to the similarities. And it might take a few months, maybe it takes a year. But if you know you're an alcoholic addict, then then you got something here. We got something for you. And you can know you're an alcoholic addict all you want. People, thousands of people know they are. But they can't stop. Because why? Because they have an access to power. There's a power we need to access. And that is what this book does, okay? Anyway, forward to the first we have Alcoholics Anonymous or more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book for them we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary okay so to show other alcoholics precisely the word precisely is in italics and when you look up the word precisely it means directions If you want to recover from a hopeless state of mind and body, we have a set of directions for you. But more so, if you want to recover from the spiritual malady, which we'll read tonight in the doctor's opinion, is the main root problem of all of this shit, then we have a set of directions for you. It's the main purpose of the book. For for them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. Well, what does that mean? It means we hope that you go through step one in this big book and that no further authentication, you don't need to go out there anymore and prove it. If you go through the first like 51 pages, which is step one, give or take of this book with somebody that understands this book, you don't have to go prove it out there, burning down your life and fucking up other people's lives along the way. You can go through the book and go, I have this. And if you do have this, then we got a solution and it's contained from step two onward. Step one is, is very, very important. It contains about half of the 103 pages of of this solution program is 103 pages. Step one's like half of that. Why? It tells me in the book, every form of self-deception experimentations, we will try to prove ourselves exceptions to the rule. We have a brain that lies to us. And we have an utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. So you don't have to go prove it out there. You go through this book and you'll know if you are. And you don't have to like go in the meeting and go, oh, he says he's an alcoholic. His story sounds like mine and go, yeah, I think I am. No, you go through the book and you and you admit and you concede to your innermost self. Yes, I am. You don't have to compare yourself in the the rooms. But people go around the rooms and spend years in there thinking they're an alcoholic, raising their hand, and, and they haven't even been through the literature. And they continually get drunk. That's one of the things that I see that never changes. But I think more importantly, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of what I do. To to show Tommy how I recovered, not from the hopeless state of mind and body so much, from a spiritual malady. As I try to live this program to the best of my ability in all aspects of my life, and I sponsor this guy, I better be doing what the fuck I say I'm going to be doing because he's watching and other people are watching. And it's not because they're watching that I want to do this. It's because I need to do this and I want a good life. And if I walk the walk and I show other alcoholics precisely how I recover, not from the hopeless state of mind and body, but from the spiritual malady, then I get on the right track and I start leveling up. I start getting closer, closer to God. And and that's what's happened with me and Tommy, right? And then the other thing, just in that paragraph, I underlined, very sick person, it's a couple lines down. And you gotta remember, we forget we're very sick people. And we forget other alcoholics are very sick people. We have a mental illness, it's called alcoholism. It's called drug addiction. But what the illness really is, is it's a spiritual malady. And the word malady means sickness. And when, I, when the spiritual malady is overcome, I strain out mentally and physically. And that is the truth. And we will focus on the spiritual malady all day long in this program in this session, in this big book study. So back at the next page, XIV. There are no dues or fees whatsoever. The only requirement for membership is is an honest desire to stop drinking. Okay, there are no dues or fees for a membership. Yes, but there really is. What's the due and fee for me? Is I give away what was given to me. That is my fee that I repay back to this program. It's a requirement for me to give this back. It's my obligation to repay this thing that saved my life. There are dues and fees. Maybe it's not financial, but it is of my time and it is of my spirit and it is of my heart. And I give back to this what was so freely given to me. And when I work with any sponsee, they know that. They know that. And then the other thing is an honest desire to stop drinking. That's what it said in the original manuscript. And I know in in Tradition 3 now, it's just a desire to stop drinking. But it's an honest desire. But I guess if you want to just keep coming with the desire to stop drinking, even though it might be half-assed, you're more than welcome to. But that's part of the problem with the program is we've got so many people that aren't even alcoholics that have a desire not to drink, but you know, they're coming in here and sponsoring guys who are actually alcoholics and and the non-alcoholic, the heavy drinker doesn't need to do what we're talking about here. This is for the hopeless person that has an utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish but we have a lot of moderate drinkers and we have a lot of heavy drinkers in the program. And it really kind of messes up sponsorship, but I'm not here to, to, you know, talk too much about that. If you're here, you're here for a reason. And I want you to get what we're laying out here forward to the second edition first sentence. Since the original forward to this book was written in 39, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Boom. Boom. That's it. Since I took this program seriously, a wholesale miracle has happened in my life. We talk about the spiritual experience as a result of these steps. Spiritual experience has changed my life. I'm a different person sitting here today, and I know this guy, he's a totally different person. And a wholesale miracle can happen to you too. And you don't don't even understand to the degree that this line has. That's why I underlined it. Because you don't even understand and you can't know what you don't know. And if you've only leveled up so far, there's more and you don't know what you don't know. And what's more important than what you know is what you don't fucking know. And there's a lot more to what we're talking about than not drinking and just, just getting a good job and just doing these little things. Okay. That, that seem like, okay, I just want my job back and I just want this back. There's so much more than that. So stick it out to the end of this study and, and really see what we're laying out here. Cause I'm, this will change your life. And I don't say that from a point of egotistical. I say that because it's changed my life and I've seen it change his. And, and I know lots of people on the screen that are doing this and it's, and it's just taken them to different places that they, they didn't know. I see Tanya nodding her head and Matt nodding his head going, fuck, I see. I see what you're talking about, Alicia. I know, like, you know, Mike, like, I know, man, I see it all the time. Anyway, next page, XVI, forward to the second. Three quarters of the way down that first paragraph. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief and dependence upon God. Boom. So there's, there's other ways and there's other religions and there's other methods in the world. And I've studied a lot of different things like to, to my own spiritual growth I study native culture, I've looked at Buddhism, I've looked at some Hinduism, I've looked at the Tao, I've looked at all of these different things, and some I haven't looked at, but there is nothing that has what this book has. This book has the best house cleaning processes, the best defect of character awareness features, this has the best directions to take you to the next level than anything I've seen. So that's why I, I underline that. The belief in and dependence upon creator. That's what it is. This God thing isn't a theory. Step three actually becomes something that means something. And it doesn't mean it from here. It means it from in here. And when you follow the directions as they're written, it takes you to that place what this book is talking about. So next paragraph. Prior to his journey at Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. What are we talking about? Bill W's wife, Lois, you know, Bill's complaining to Lois, fuck, none of these guys are staying sober. None of them are staying sober. Lois looks at Bill and goes, dude, you've been a hopeless alcoholic wrecking our lives you're sober. So keep doing it. And through Bill doing this, he, he leveled himself up, right? And I, what I want to mention is anyone who's, who's uh, sponsoring here, you're going to sponsor 10, 15, 20, 30 people. And you might not get one that gets through the 12 steps. I sponsored my first like 15 and didn't get anyone through the steps. I sponsored like 300 and only got 70 or 75 through the steps doesn't matter. I'm sober. And I'm the one who's who's living a good life. So you got to remember that most people aren't going to stay sober. And when my sponsees that don't really get this call me and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go date. I'm going to go this. I'm going to go gamble. I'm going to go. I'm going to go do all these things. I always say that's that's normal. And then they're like, Oh, cool. I said, do what's normal. And you're fucking drunk. You gotta do what's not normal here. It's not by mistake five people out of a hundred make it make it a year. Out of five people that make it a year out of that hundred, two and a half make it the five years. Why? Because it's not fucking easy. So what I like to deliver is let's get this, let's get the numbers up. Let's get people understanding what's actually in this book. Not at the three-topic discussion meetings in AA and CA and whatever A. It's right here, and it's the directions. Next paragraph. No, sorry, next page. We're going to be done this preface stuff here pretty quick. Next page, uh, XVII, top of the page. It also indicated that strenuous work with one alcoholic with another was vital to permanent recovery. Boom. As you're going to see in the doctor's opinion, on the very first page of the doctor's opinion, as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to others, impressing upon them they must do likewise with still others. That's my obligation. This is part of my recovery, it's vital for my recovery. And not only vital, because at first when I looked at vital, I'm like, yeah, I need to stay alive. <laughs> Fuck, I got some daughters to, to be a dad to, and I don't want to die. Now it's vital, meaning I want to live life. And it's through sponsorship, through the 12 steps give me a lot. But the one aspect of the 12 step has given me everything. Sponsorship. Sponsorship has grow, grown my, my life like you couldn't believe. So it indicates that it's strenuous work. Strenuous work. It's not at your convenience. This isn't always at my convenience. It's intensive work. I got to sacrifice some things to do this work. I get my life back. And then I start fucking saying, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not good. That's normal. Do what's not normal. Follow this path and start sponsoring. Start carrying the message. Start doing some service. And then you get to see what you don't know. And what's more important than what you know? What you don't know. So it's vital to permanent recovery. And I don't mean recovery from the substance. I'm talking about recovery from the real problem. Selfish self-centeredness. That's, that's where I get to really look at myself. Looking across the table at myself. Talking to myself. Listening to myself. Giving myself advice that I better listen to. What better way to self-examine yourself? not only as an alcoholic, but as a human being. The book talks about our real purpose is to fit ourselves, to be of maximum service to God and our fellows about us. That's the real purpose. But God uses my greatest deficit, addict alcoholic, as my greatest benefit. But it's a process, and it's humility. And we'll get more into the humility process later. So next paragraph, bottom of that second paragraph there were many failures but there was one occasional heartening success that's what we're talking about many failures but they're not failures and then every now and then you'll get a heartening success that lights up and opens your heart and it changes you from the inside and out and then you quit you quit trying to change everything on the outside of you because the insides are getting changed. And once you're good on the inside, then everything gets good on the outside. And it's a process and it doesn't happen with your first two or three or four. It happens more over time. Continuous work with sponsees. Okay. So the very last thing I'm gonna talk about here is uh. Couple pages, forward to the second edition, AA grew by leaps and bounds. It's on XX, top of the page, second line. Forward to the second, XX, second line. AA grew by leaps and bounds for this, for there were two principal reasons, the large numbers of recoveries and reunited homes. These made their impressions everywhere, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried 50% 50% got sober at once and remained that way for 20, remained that way, sorry, 25% sobered up with some relapses and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program, but great numbers of these and about two out of three began to return as time passed. So those stats are actually true to what I see today too. I do see about 50% do what this book says. But I'm also working with people that are non-alcoholics, they're heavy drinkers, or they're not even here for the right reason. So you get people in treatment centers and they're there because they're losing their family, losing their job, losing this, losing that. And they're not there for the right reasons. But if you get a hundred real deal alcoholic addicts, these numbers actually, in my belief, are true. But who knows who those people are, right? Only God knows. Okay. That's it. I'm done. Uh, there is more, but
0: we got to get on to this doctor's opinion. Yeah, wow. I mean, that, this is why I, I'm so grateful to be, be beside Bill tonight. Um, and one other thing that I forgot to mention is that we will be taking a break. Um, at about eight, around eight o'clock for like 10 minutes, and then uh, then we'll carry on till about 9.15. So I'm just going to get started here with uh, with the doctor's opinion, and we'll go from there. All right, so we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convici- convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have a- had an experience with the sufferings of our members and have had witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. To whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who thought he had been a, a competent businessman of good earning capacity was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families this man and over 100 others appeared to have recovered. To? Sure.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, just going to go to the back to the top of the page. We have Alcoxon honest believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery. So what I like to highlight here with sponsees is plan of recovery. And as I'm a student of the literature, I I dissect the words and I dissect the sentences and what they mean. Plan, when you look up the word plan, means a detailed proposal to achieve a goal. Well, what's my goal here? I want to stay sober. That's my first goal. I come here with a hopeless condition that I can't put down a drink or drug. I need that to be gone. I need a plan for that. Well, I got a plan for that. What is the real plan I need? I need a design for living. I need, a, I need a blueprint of how to live my life. That book right here is way more of a plan for that. And if I can really learn that plan, I don't ever need to look at a drink or drug again. And when we look up the word recovery, the act or process of being healthy after an illness. Recovery means the act or process. We're talking about processes of pragmatic application. of of steps, of action in this program to allow me to be healthy after an illness. Well, my illness is selfish self-centeredness and spiritual malady. And if I follow the practical application that's laid out in this book, I recover from that as well. And I actually implement what step three is talking about at a way higher level than, than here. I'm actually walking hand in hand with my creator, And I'm letting him make these decisions. And it's not like, hmm, I wonder what God would want me to do. Mm -hmm. You fucking know. You know. But the channel has to be clear. And it takes practice. It takes sharpening of the tools. Anyway, um, so I'm going to go down a little bit. uh, Next, next full section In late 1934, I attended a patient, though he had been a competent businessman. We're talking about Bill W. So the doctor's writing about Bill W., this competent stockbroker, okay? Of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic type I had come to regard as hopeless in the course of his third treatment. So remember this story because the story repeats itself in about two pages. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. Bill W. had already been part of the Oxford group a little bit before, and he'd learned a couple of things from Dr. Silkworth. So he comes to doctors, the doctor's hospital, and he's like, can I, can I give this stuff a shot? Let me try this with some of the other guys, Doc. And the doctor's like, okay. So as part of Bill's rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of our rapidly grown fellowship. So what I want to highlight here is we got a design for living. And it starts right here in the doctor's opinion. On the very first page of the doctor's opinion, it tells me one of the most important things I need to know in my recovery for the design for living and for the substance. Working with others is mandatory, must. Look up the word must. Request benefits of not. Um, Must is a requirement, okay? Look it up. It's like highly recommended. And as part of my recovery, this is what I do. So I don't know about any of you guys, But if you want to recover from a hopeless state of mind and body and a design for living, I would really follow the directions that it says here. And basis of the rapidly growing fellowship, it's the foundation. This is the foundation. Do I want to build a new life? Yeah. Well, this is part of the foundation. Okay. That's
0: it. And I remember like when I first read this, it was hard for me to relate because I was just looking at the competent businessman. I was a homeless junkie like this. This didn't, I, I I didn't relate to this whatsoever, but when you sit down with another person who explains it the way bill is right now, this is when it starts to take effect and you kind of take the language and, and you just make it more in depth. And um, you know, the, they might they they must do likewise with others is so important because for so long that um you know even in and out of treatment centers in the treatment centers as soon as a counselor told me that they weren't an alcoholic my walls went up right and it's so much different when you have somebody that's been through it that knows what you're talking about the thinking you know the just everything that is involved with alcoholism and the the you know the that I cannot put a drink down once I start. Nobody will ever understand that unless you're an alcoholic. So it's so important that um, this is this part gets driven home to somebody new, or you know maybe somebody that doesn't understand it at at this point. So okay, we're going to the next page. Um, uh, actually, right here. the bottom of this page, I guess. Yep.
1: Okay, I personally know scores of cases who are of the type whom other methods had failed completely. So what does that mean? It means there's a lot of other ways you can try to get sober. And the doctor, you got to remember, this doctor has been doing this his whole life. He sees other methods fail completely. So that's pretty big. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in this group, they may mark a new epoch in the annuals of alcoholism. These men may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Yours truly, Dr. William D. Silkworth. The physician who at our request gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality, or we were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out the physical factors incomplete. The doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Okay, so we're talking about the obsession and the allergy. And that's really important, right? Because that's how we know each other to begin with. I have an obsession I can't stop and I have an allergy when I put it in my body that takes over. When I, when I take my first drink because life's piling up on me, I don't know that I'm setting off this physical thing and, and understanding that is very important for the new alcoholic. Actually, the doctor's theory that we have an allergy interests us. It interests the medical fraternity. And it interests us as we go to AA rooms and CA rooms and whatever A rooms. It starts interesting us. And we're like, whoa, what does it say? It says, as laymen, to our opinion, to its soundness, may of course mean little. But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we could not otherwise account. That's so true. We all know when we go to a meeting, in our first meetings, we were just like, wow, that makes sense. It explains many things for which I could not otherwise account. But I want to take the allergy and the um, obsession out of the picture for a second. When you stick around the rooms long enough, you start going, holy shit, I feel like that. Holy shit, my anger is like that. Holy shit, my lust is like that. My manipulation is like that. My my all these defects of character, I'm acting like that too. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the spiritual malady. That's more important to me. And we'll get way more into it. So for anyone new that struggles with the substance, stay tuned because we're going to get to the obsession and the allergy stuff. But more importantly, the design for living and understanding of spiritual malady And medicating the spirituality with with God and with the disciplines is way more important. Okay? And here we go. It tells me on the second page of this book what my solution is to this whole thing. Second page. First page talked about working with another alcoholic. Second page gives me the rest of the recipe. But the recipe's branched throughout the book a little more. But here's the highlights of it. Though we work out our solution... I need a solution for a substance abuse and I need a solution for the design for living from my spiritual malady. So though we work out our solution on the spiritual, boom, and altruistic plane, spiritual means I need to grow my spiritual life. And I have a set of disciplines in this book that take me to that place. But more importantly, but equally as important, I don't, I don't want to say more importantly, but kind of more important because the altruism is actually the action that takes you to the spiritual part. Okay, so altruistic plane. Well, what does altruistic mean? When we just read through this, we don't really fucking tune into what we're reading. Altruistic means unselfishly devoting oneself to the welfare, happiness, and well being of another. So when you start doing some of this, this action in the program of helping others. You're not doing it, and I'm not doing it altruistically. I'm not unselfishly devoting my life to the happiness and well-being and life and and benefit for you. I'm doing acts of altruism, but by no means am I altruistic. And there's three phases of altruism. It's like the three phases of humility. I do altruism because I need to stay alive. And this book and the program and my sponsor tells me you got to start doing service. You got to start helping people. But why am I doing it? I'm doing it because I don't want to fucking die. I want to stay alive and I'm going to listen to what you're telling me to do. So I'm doing it from a, such a selfish component. And it's not altruistic at all, but it's acts of altruism. And I do it begrudgingly, but I do it anyway. And then after I keep doing this act of altruism for a while, you know, if I don't drink and get pissed off at you first, after a while, I start going, holy shit, this stuff makes me feel good. I work with sponsees and I feel good after. I chair meetings and I feel good after. It starts changing me from the inside. But I'm, not, I'm still not doing it altruistically. I'm doing it still from a selfish component. What's the selfish component? It makes me feel good. Don't you know I want to feel good? That's why I'm a drug addict alcoholic. I want to feel good. So I start connecting the dots. I start seeing the patterns. When I do this work, it starts making me feel good. But that's not where the gifts are quite yet. Although there's a lot of gifts and a lot of guys just take it from there and run. And they get on with the business of being self-satisfied. And their real purpose isn't to fit themselves to be a maximum service to God and their fellows about them. Their, their real purpose is to fit themselves to be a maximum service to themselves. And then they go back. And they usually come back. Why? Because they haven't worked on the real problem. Selfish self-centeredness. That we think is the root of our trouble. But if you keep working through the second phase of altruism, you, eventually you get to this place and you're just like, holy shit. Why am I answering my phone without hesitation and I'm leaving game seven of the Stanley Cup finals to go work with an alcoholic? Why am I just abandoning my life to go help people? Because now you're altruistic and that's where the gifts are. But it takes a while. It takes commitment. It takes persistent, consistent commitment to your program. It takes doing things that aren't normal. Because if you do what's normal, you'll probably reverse and get drunk. And if you want to launch into like a real fourth dimension, that's what we're talking about. So we work out our solution on the spiritual disciplines, inventories, prayer, meditation, and the altruistic plane of service. And then on the previous page, we talked about one alcoholic working with another we must as part of our own recovery those three things will will set you up for a total success in life period so we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jitter befogged more often than not it is imperative that the man's brain be cleared before he is approached he has then a better chance of understanding what we have to offer What we're talking about for anyone sponsoring is the person has to go to detox. You can't start working with an alcoholic addict as soon as they're done drinking, as soon as they're done using. You have to give them at least five days. And if if your alcoholic addict person keeps calling you saying, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, but they haven't gotten five days in, then they're not ready. And if you want to know what their willingness is like, then you tell them to go to detox. You tell them detox in your home then. Get five days sober. As soon as you're five days sober, we'll we'll make a plan to get you going through the book. But there's no point in doing anything until they got five days sober. So many guys will call you on one and two days sober and, and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the honest truth is the drugs and the drink aren't really done with them. But the mind of these people says, I'm done. But we have a physical allergy, you don't get it. The physical allergy tells you when you're done. The drugs and alcohol will tell you when they're done with you. The mind doesn't tell the drugs and alcohol when, when you're done. It doesn't work like that. So I, I end up shaking my head all the time because you know I get sponsees and people reaching out to me as a pillar, asking me these questions. I'm like, dude, they're not done till the drugs and alcohol are done. And they'll show their willingness by a willingness to call you every day and get going with you on the sixth or seventh day. And if they're not going to do that, then you got nothing. You got nothing. Anyway,
0: Tommy, you got anything to add? Yeah. So, I mean, when, we, when it talks about, you know, the body being as abnormal as my mind, um, you know, you, you know, when I th- now that I know and I can see it from now, I, it's like, okay, when I drink, I cannot stop. That has been proven over and over and over. But ha- what happens to my mind, and it's not only an obsession about alcohol, but it's this obsession of fear, of anger, of, you know, I'm, I can read everybody's mind and everybody's, you know, not thinking well about me and I know it, you know? And these things drive me to drink. This is part, some of it that I didn't understand was, it was my thinking That drove me to drink every time because I can't continue to go into treatment centers and detox centers and hospitals. But and I would leave, I would leave lit up and I and I felt like I had it. And then all of a sudden, you know, life starts piling up a week or two later and I'm drunk and I can't understand why. Because my mind goes into a tailspin, and this is where we need to be centered with a higher power. And this is where that is where we combat it because. Um, I've never found any other solution to my problem and I've done a lot of things like I've done a lot of different types of recovery and this is the only one that has calmed the mind the way to the point where I need it and have the fellowship involved where when these things happen I can reach out and we can deal with it and I need God centered people in my life to do that with because if I just call someone who doesn't know what I'm talking about they're going to co-sign my bullshit and then we're gonna just snowball it and I'm gonna end up drinking. And this is what I did over and over and over again. So, I mean, the spiritual way of life has been the, the key to all of this for me. Okay, you're up. Okay. Okay, <clears throat> so the doctor writes, the sub, uh, subject presented in this book seems to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years experience as a medical director, as one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on the subject which covered in such masterly masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. With our, with with our uh, ultra modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in the hospital, and we were here. <clears throat> while here, he acquired some ideas which put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here, and with some misgiving, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in the alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death.
1: Okay. So what you got to understand about the doctor is the doctor is the guy who spent his whole life watching us. He worked at the town's hospital and I'm sure he worked at other places. He spent his whole life watching drug addicts and alcoholics. And he came up with this theory by watching what's the theory that we have an allergy to alcohol. As laymen, as, as it, professionals, our opinion to its soundness may, of course, mean little. So there's no real proof for the medical fraternity of what the doctor's theory is. But the doctor spent his whole life studying us, and he came up with, with this problem. Without the problem being identified, we could never have worked on a solution. So the doctor is very, very important here. Um, and in this next paragraph... We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of importance. So the doctors, all of his doctors and his colleagues had realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology, some psychic rearrangement was of utmost importance. But its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultramodern standard scientific approach to everything, we're perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. What is the powers of good? Anyone? God. Yeah. God. That's what we're talking about. This doctor starts seeing people recover and he's like, holy shit. And you're going to see in this next paragraph what he, what he actually says. So Bill Many years ago, one of the leading contributors, Bill, to this book came under Care in Our Hospital. And while here, he had acquired some ideas, which he put into practical application at once. Okay, well, what does practical mean? Practical application of, of these disciplines, these directions. Um, actual doing or use of something. I can't read my own writing. Anyway, practical application. It means actually doing something that fucking produces a result. So Bill has some practical application that he laid out in this book for us. Okay. Um, later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell a story to other patients. And with some misgiving, we consented. So here it is again. He comes back to the town's hospital, says, doctor, I want to I show you what I've learned. And, and with some misgiving, he was like, I don't really know, Bill. But they allowed him to. The cases that the doctors have followed have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. So this doctor who spent his whole life trying to help us, watches Bill stroll in there, lay out some, some one alcoholic working with another, and he's like, holy shit, this is amazing. He uses the word amazing. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power that pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. So I'm just going to use myself or I can use Tommy. They believe in themselves. I believe in myself. I got good self-confidence today. And Tommy believes in himself. We both got good self-confidence today. But where did it come? It comes because we believe more in the power that pulled us back from the gates of death. So my my self-confidence is in direct relation with my God reliance. So God reliance will equal self-confidence. And that's how this works. And when you look at step seven, which to me, step seven is ultimate surrender to program and to God. um, You look at tradition seven because every step and tradition exactly correlate. Well, what is tradition seven? Everyone thinks it's about money. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, declining outside contributions. Then they pass the basket around. Well, it's not about fucking money. It's about I become self-supporting through my own self, through my reliance on God, through self, and I become actually self-confident. And I decline outside contributions. I decline things from outside of me to make me me. I spent my whole life being held up by the, the world of the material. I, I, I knew who I was based on who you thought I was. And I was always held up with, How much money I made, um, what my job was, how many trucks I had on the street with my company, um, who was on my arm, um, what you thought of me, and I was held up by all these world of the material pillars. But when life came crashing down for me, and I was left in the rubble of all these material world pillars, and all my so-called friends were gone because I didn't have anything, I looked in the mirror and went, "Who the fuck are you?" I didn't even know who I was. Because I wasn't self-supporting through my own contributions and my own centeredness and my own creator. I was held up by you and what you thought I was. So what what ends up happening through this process of self-discovery, self-realization, you start getting held up by by the pillars of God and pillars that are God-centered and 12-stepped. So when I get into shitty situations that i seem that seems shitty because I actually don't know what's shitty for me and what's good for me. But when it seems shitty, I call a God center 12 step pillar. Cause like Tommy said, if I start calling people on step four, start calling guys at six months sober and go, dude, this is what I'm struggling with. What do you think? They're going to, they're going to give me some advice that it's going to get me drunk. I need to call like Mike G or Tommy or or my sponsor or Corey or somebody centered in God that can give me a perspective from their own God centeredness. Because if I don't start relying on people that are doing this with high water level recovery, I will stay in the mid or bottom level. If I stay in the mid or bottom level, I'm going to get drunk. We talk about two fellowships in this program. Okay. There's the fellowship of tradition three. You have a desire not to drink, and I have a desire not to drink, and we're all over the place. That's a great fellowship. You know, I start understanding other people are like me. But there's another fellowship that we don't talk about. It's on page 164 in the very last paragraph of the Design for Living the fellowship of the Spirit. Here you will meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. May God bless you and keep you until you find the fellowship of the Spirit. Because that's the one that gets you sober, keeps you sober, and gives you the vitality to live life. But Bill didn't mention it all through the big book because he didn't want to push people away by separating people. But I'm not Bill W., the first one. I'm Bill W., like, a thousand later, And I'm here to tell you that the second fellowship of the spirit is the one you want to be in for real. And if you follow the directions, you'll be there. And it's not a theory of God. It's, it's not the theory of God. Does anyone here understand? Okay. I'm going to ask somebody to answer this. So we all know that this program has God in it. And has anyone here, just relied on this theory of God and then wondered how they got drunk? Someone step up. Matt. 17 years of a belief in God. So what's changed? Action. 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 Daily action. Mike G, speak up. I depended heavily on the uh, God of reason. No other God. (laughs) And it didn't work out so well. How many years were you in and out? I don't know the exact number, 88. uh, I met you in 2017. Okay, so 20-some years of having a theory of God and being drunk over and over. And the, the program and in the rooms, we just talk about a theory of God. Faith alone is insufficient. This idea of faith is insufficient. To be vital, it must be accompanied by self-sacrifice, unselfish, constructive action. The self-sacrifice is really, really important. And it doesn't mean we just donate our time. I have a problem of selfish self-centeredness and I must learn how to self-sacrifice it. But first I got to learn how to see it because you can't see self with self. So through this study, you're going to learn how to see selfishness over time you'll get better at it. And then the unselfish constructive action is the practical application of the steps in its
0: entirety. So yeah, guns, anything? Um, I don't even know where we're at anymore, that was amazing. Um, I guess the only thing that I can say is that uh, for a long time, you know, everybody around me, including myself, expected treatment to fix me. And we have the idea that if we go to a treatment center, it will it'll make me sober and then I can carry on. And what Bill is explaining in such detail is that, you know, it, it's a good starting point. Like I went through treatment and I ended up staying sober for a number of years after it, but I didn't understand what was involved in to actually recover. Um, I'm trying to recover from so much more than just the substance. You know, my head spins out. um, You know, I go into self-pity. I'm full of fear. It actually tells me that I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-delusion. You know, this is what I drink over. I, I, I create these delusions in my mind that people are acting a certain way or doing something to me and it's not even real. So I spend so much time drinking and using over stuff that doesn't exist, but I can't see it when I'm spiritually sick. I cannot see it. And I need people in my life to show me and I need the directions in the book to take me to a higher power. We can't like, I cannot rely on just the directions. This is the vehicle, the vehicle to the solution. And you know, so yes, we have to put everything we can into this so that we can get the real solution, which is a higher power, which will keep me safe and protected from fucking everything that affects me. And when I'm in an, an, an incapable of connecting to it, I have people around me to connect for me and to put me back on track. So, I mean, we're getting up to, um, uh, just over eight o'clock. So we're going to take a, what do you want to do? 10 minutes, seven, seven minutes. We got the drill sergeant here. So
1: I'm going to get rolling at the bottom of XXVII. Okay, of course an alcoholic ought to be freed from his f- physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all once having formed the habit badly enough the family cannot break it once having lost their self-confidence or reliance upon things human Their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So what I want to, uh, actually I'll keep reading frothy, emotional appeal, seldom suffices the message, which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So, um, I'm gonna get you to flip a couple times into other parts of the book, but I'm gonna reread some of this. So the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average tempered drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol or drugs in any form at all. So this is what differentiates us from your average person is we have an allergy. And we do have a spiritual malady, like I said, but this is focused on the allergy. And I cannot use any mind or mood-altering substances ever, unless I go and consult my sponsor, I talk to the doctor, I let him know, you know, a lot of people get time in and then they get an injury and they go and get fentanyl injected into them and they become drug addicts or alcoholics again. Because they don't understand this part. Just because the doctor is giving you painkillers, you're an addict alcoholic. You know, I cannot use mind and mood altering substances without major consultation with proper people, including sponsors and and God-centered 12-step pillars and and other medical fraternity. And if there's another solution, I really got to consider that stuff. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about smashing the first illusion. The first delusion is actually in more about alcoholism. I'm not ever able to safely use drugs or alcohol in any form ever again. I need to smash that idea. And that is the first step in recovery, conceding to my innermost self that I'm actually an alcoholic addict. That's what we're talking about. Um, Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. Nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So there's a few things here. The message that can interest and hold this alcoholic had to have depth and weight. Well, what does that actually mean? Depth is experience. I have to have the experience of being an alcoholic addict. And then the weight is what's worked. So when when you work with your sponsor. The reason I went and talked to my sponsor is he, he described all the depth. He described all of his alcoholic drug addict issues and, and his obsession and his allergy and, and how he thought, and I'm like, dude, that's me. But what, what actually held me in was his solution and how can this guy be sober and happy? The depth is experience and the weight is what's worked. And I'd like you to flip to page 18 and there's a solution um, because it describes it perfectly. We're not here yet, but I'm going to be flipping back and forth throughout the study because there's, there's a method to the madness. Very bottom of page eight, page 18, second last paragraph. But the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, that's the depth. Can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. That is holding my interest. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. The man that is making the approach has had the same difficulty that he obviously knows what he is talking about, that his whole deportment shouts at the new prospect. He is the man with the real answer. And whole deportment is his, his whole body language. When, when my sponsor spoke his first time at a meeting, I could see it in his whole body language. I, I could see that this guy has had the same difficulties as me, but then he had a solution. And his whole deportment shouted that he is the man with the real answer. I want what he has. Um, that he has a no attitude, a holier than now, nothing, whatever, but a sincere desire to be helpful that there are no fees to pay, no access to grind, no people to please, no lectures to be in there. These are the conditions we found most effective. After such an approach, many take up their beds and walk again. That's what we're talking about, depth and weight. I need a message that can interest and hold me, that has depth of experience and weight of what's worked. And and when we talk about sponsorship, a lot of people won't sponsor because they're just like, well, I don't have the experience. I don't know. I don't want to kill somebody. I don't want to this. I don't want to that. Well, you have the depth and you're sober and you have a connection with God at whatever level, that's all you need. And then how do you gain experience without experience? You gotta, you gotta start with one. How do you gain experience from one? You would do with, you do two, <laughs> And then you do three. And then you just keep trying. Right. And you're doing God's will. Cause if you have a sincere desire to be helpful, then that's all that really matters. And you've been through the processes and you understand what works, okay? So back to doctor's opinion. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So nearly all cases. So Bill's giving you the out that maybe, maybe there's somebody out there that doesn't need a higher power. Maybe there's a way that some people can get and stay sober without creator, or God. So we say in nearly all cases. But the ones that I've experienced, it's it's all cases need something grounded in a power greater than himself to reco- recover. Actually, it says to recreate their lives. And it's not that I got my old life back. In step three, it says we were reborn. I actually got a new life. I, ha- I got a brand new life. And it was built on a different foundation. It was built on a foundation of, of God. Whereas my old foundation was faulty and, and it caused my failure, and it was built on self. And there's more later in the literature that talks about the two foundations, one of self, one of God. And it's all through the literature, actually. So I'm gonna keep reading. If any feel that a psychiatrist directing and for a hospital alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental. Let them stand with us on the firing line. See the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children. Let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel that after many years of experience, we have found nothing. So the doctor's writing, with many years' experience, he has found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of alcoholics and addicts than this altruistic movement, now growing up among them. And the altruistic movement is in this book. And the doctor himself says this, and he's worked with thousands. This is great. I can't wait to read this. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Okay, so what are we talking about? Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect. I love the effect. I love the effect. And the effect actually lit me up for quite a long time. I drink because I like the effect produced by alcohol. Um, the sensation is so elusive. But at some point, drugs and alcohol didn't doesn't, doesn't give me the same effect anymore. And the sensation that I'm looking for is so elusive. I can't find it, but I keep trying to find it because I like the effect produced, but now it's become elusive, and and I go trying to find it, and I keep taking drinks, I keep taking drugs, but that feeling, that effect that I used to get, it's now elusive. While they admit it is injurious, while they admit it is bad for them, so at a certain point I start realizing this is not good for me, what's happening anymore. I'll admit that it's injurious. I admit that it's bad for me. It's hurting me. It's damaging me. It's damaging a lot of my life. Although I admit it's injurious, I keep looking for this effect. They cannot, after time, differentiate the true from the false. I I can't see the truth that this drink or this drug is always going to do what it does now. Because I've crossed the line. I crossed the line from maybe I was a moderate drinker for a while. Maybe I was even a heavy drinker where the feeling was not as elusive as often. But now I've crossed the line into real alcoholic addiction. And I am looking for the feeling that I can't find. And I can never cross back on that line. And I know that it's bad for me. So I I can't differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. So it just seems normal now. I don't know what to do. And I, and I, can't, I can't drink and do drugs anymore because it doesn't work. But I can't not drink and do drugs because I'm an alcoholic addict. And I get to this no man's land where I can't do it and I can't not do it. Then you're really fucked. And this is the most important part right here. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once. So what are we talking about? I am restless, irritable, discontented. I am suffering a spiritual malady. I'm agitated. Spiritual malady looks like agitation. Looks like discontentment. It looks like anger. Looks like indignancy. It looks like me honking on the horn, driving in traffic. It looks like me being smug with my, my wife. It looks like me judging and and being an asshole. It looks like many different things. But I'm restless, irritable, and I'm not comfortable in my own skin. Unless I can, again, get the ease and comfort that comes at once by taking the first few drinks. And think about it, when you're living your life and life's piling up on you and the dog pisses on your shoes and the wife is demanding that you take out the garbage too much and the guys at work are on your case and all of these things are piling up on you. The tire's low on your car, on your way to work and nothing's going your way. You're suffering from spirituality. Life is piling up on you. And then as you go through the day, all you can think about is I can't wait to get home and have that first drink or first who. And that's the obsession because we need relief and we need it now. And then you get home and you find that little spot in that, in that space and time where you can crack a couple cold ones or have a couple hoots. And there's nothing better. And everything is just okay right now as you have the first drink or have the first hoot. And everything's good. The problem with us is after that feeling is, is good. Now we're not drinking to escape anymore. You're drinking to overcome a physical craving because you set off a craving in your physical being that, that is more powerful than your ability to stop with your mind. We're not drinking to escape. We're drinking to overcome a physical craving beyond your mental control. So what does it say here? I take the first drink. Drinks they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again. As so many do. And I want you to understand the word succumbed. The word succumbed means fail to resist. If you're an alcoholic addict, you don't have a choice. You fail to resist. Even though you know it's not good for you, because it's injurious, you admit it's injurious, you're still looking for that elusive feeling. But you can't not take it. Because there's so much of this going on in your head, you need relief, you need it now, as we succumb to the desire again, as so many do. The phenomenon phenomenon of craving develops and they pass through the well-known stages of the spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to do it again. This is repeated over and over and over. Unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Once you put the first one in you, you're not not in control anymore. How many times have you gone to the bar or had a couple drinks and next thing you know, it's one in the morning and you're still drinking and you got to be at work. It's because your mind isn't in control, but your mind says, I'm picking up the second drink. I'm picking up the fourth drink. I'm going to stop after the sixth, but now it's 10 Because you're not in control of your body. And your body overpowers your mind. And that's why we need God. The theory of God will not combat this. But the practical application of a working power in your life actually combats it. I'm down here. Drugs and alcohol are here. And God's here. Creator's here. So after we go through the well-known stages of the spree, you drink and it's like one in the morning and you have to be at work. Maybe you pass out or whatever. In the morning, you're like, I'm, I'm, you're waking up remorseful or maybe it's just a night of debauchery. And you wake up remorseful and you wish you didn't do it. And you're feeling guilt and shame and remorse. And you're like, fuck, how did that happen again? And then you swear off with a firm resolution not to do it again. And then you stop. For a week, two weeks, maybe a month. Because you made a firm resolution. You're not doing this again. And then, what does it say? This is repeated over and over and over. Unless this person can experience the entire psychic change. Like the doctor said. We knew that there was some moral and psychological measures that need to be implemented. But it presented difficulties beyond their control. But God can do this. God can help us do this. There's very little hope of my recovery unless I have a psychic change. I think what's more important to understand here is this is the alcoholic cycle. I'm restless here about discontent, I have an obsession, I need relief, I take it, I set off the craving, I go on the spree, I emerge remorseful and I swear off and this repeats over and over and over. But for the spiritual malady, when I put the drink and the drug away and I'm not drinking or drugging anymore, what do I put in the alcoholic cycle now? I put in the alcoholic cycle porn. I'm restless, irritable, discontent until I can get some porn because I need some relief and I need it now. And then I, I watch some porn and I go on the spree. And then I emerge remorseful and I swear off because I know it's not good for me. And then I then I then I stop and then it comes back and I repeat the cycle over and over. I'm living in alcoholism what else can I put in there? Anger. Why? Cause, cause I like anger and I'm restless, irritable discontent. And then I lash out at you cause I can't handle what's piling up in here. And then I go on the spree of anger and I yell at you for, for a minute. And then I, sw- and then I emerge remorseful and I wish, Oh fuck, I wish I didn't do that, but I had no power. I couldn't stop myself. And then I swear off and I'm like, I'm never yelling at you again. I'm never gonna do this again. But I don't have any power, I'm powerless. And this is repeated over and over, and then I do it again and I do it again. What else goes in there? Gambling. What else goes in there? Self-pity. What else goes in there? Anything that will give you relief will go in there. And what is actually what are you getting from that from that defect that you put in the alcoholic cycle? is you're getting power. You're getting a false sense of power. You're going to put relationships in there. You're going to put sex in there. You're going to put porn in there. You're going to put gambling. And why? Because there's a power there. But it's a false power. And you will always emerge remorseful. And you will feel guilt. And then that creates more spiritual malady. And without a working God in my life, if I create enough of this with no drugs or alcohol... I get to the jumping off point. If I know I'm not going to be able to drink or use drugs because I know what actually happens, but I don't have God as the solution, I get to, like it says in the back of the book, the jumping off point. I think it's suicide because I don't know what's wrong and I don't know how to stop it. Well, the whole program's designed to work on the spiritual malady, the defective character, the shit that causes my failure, and it's all up here. And when I open up this thing, is start solving this but this has always been the master to this and this thing's so covered up with shit that i can't really see it or feel it but this program allows this heart thing to get uncovered allows god to start working in my life and unless i can experience an entire psychic change there's very little hope of his recovery and if you don't work on this on this as a substance abuser you're sure to drink and use drugs again. And if you don't work on these things as, as a recovered alcoholic from the substance, you're you're gonna be miserable. And you're gonna keep wandering and looking and, and trying to find something from outside yourself to fix what's been wrong on the inside. Tommy, you got
0: anything? Yeah, so I, <clears throat> I can definitely relate to what uh, Bill just described. It, before I got to the program, um, and, and trying all the, the treatments and the, the detox centers in hospitals. There was a point where I had tried so many programs where that's exactly what happened. I tried to commit suicide because I couldn't handle the way I felt when I was sober. So it tells me the substance is not the problem. It's when I'm really sober where the big problem is. Because if I can't live life sober, then I have no chance. And, uh, you know, so I, I thought, well, you know, when I drink, And it leads to drugs every time because the craving, you know, the the alcohol just doesn't satisfy the craving. So I try drugs and then the drugs turns on me and then it's just a big shit show. So I wanted to quit. But the way I felt when I was sober, the restless, irritable, and discontent, I just couldn't handle it. So suicide seemed like a good option. And luckily I'm here today. Um, But I want to talk about the, um, can never use alcohol in any form because, uh, I was coming up on three years sober and, you know, I started having insomnia. I started having anxiety. So what are, what are the symptoms of alcoholism? Anxiety, depression, and insomnia. You go to a doctor with that shit, they're going to prescribe something for you. Every almost everything that treats those three things is probably a narcotic, right? I mean, other than the depression, but, um, so I went there for insomnia and I had a Mexico trip coming up and he, see prescribed me sleeping pills. And these pills I knew that were bad for me, I had been addicted to in my my addiction. But my alcoholic mind started to tell me, well, you weren't really addicted to them because you were really just, you know, there was too much shit going on before. As soon as I took those pills, I took one and I couldn't stop taking them because it gave me a similar effect to alcohol. It relieved the anxiety, the tension, the worry, for a brief moment and I woke up in the morning remorseful. And I told my wife, like, you gotta take these from me. I can't, I can't stop taking these damn things. She puts them in the, in the medicine cabinet, you know? And then overnight I took them all because I cannot stop. And then what happens, we go to Mexico and I have no mental defense when the guy offers me tequila and I drink it and then I'm, I'm screwed. You know, I'm, I'm puking every morning. Frothy emotional appeal, seldom suffices. Why don't you quit, Tommy? You're burning your life to the ground. Can't you see it? Seldom suffices. It's not enough. You know, it's like I woke up after a relapse with my kids screaming and crying, you know, and uh, it it just isn't enough. Frothy emotional appeal, seldom suffices, and that's what they're talking about. Everybody around me can see that I'm burning my life to the ground. They just can't fathom how I can keep going this way. But it's just not enough. I need a power greater than myself. And um, the reason why I, I, I love the effect produced by alcohol, it goes much more than your average person. It's not just to have fun anymore. It's because I need it. It's like my medication to my problem. I feel so crazy. I feel so disgusting in my own skin, especially for all the things that I've done over the years of addiction and alcohol that I just crawl out of my own skin. So I love the fucking effect produced by alcohol because it's my lifeline. It's literally my lifeline. And then I come into AA and I get a new lifeline and I start to experience the the ease and comfort from the power of God where I can look the world in the eye where I could connect with the people around me without having to drink first, where I can be in social situations and just feel comfortable. And I'm telling you, there was a lot of work to get there because even in my, in my years of being in the, in the fellowship, um, I, I rarely felt comfortable in most situations because I wasn't really put in the work that we're going to go over in this book. I really wasn't digging in you know, I still felt restless, irritable and and discontent, not to the point of drinking, but to the point where I just wasn't quite connected to people. And this book, it will, has changed my life. And not only that, it has had this amazing ripple effect where I'm connected now with my sisters and my wife and my kids and the sponsors. And then when I sponsor someone, it affects their family and their kids and their relationships. So it has much more effect than just solving my um, little problems of myself. You know, I I came in here. Yes, I came in here to get my life back, get back on track. And then I start to realize that everything I went to and everything I went through now has a purpose because I can help other people with that. And if I don't use my experience to help other people, then it's all for nothing. This isn't the program of make Tommy great again. This is the program of helping other people and connecting to a higher power. And, you know, I've never found anything that uh, describes it better than the words in the book. It's just that the reason why I wanted to be part of this big book study was because I didn't understand the words in the book. I didn't understand what they were talking about. When I just read this stuff, it carries no depth and weight when somebody is passionate about it as Bill and starts to explain it as we go along, then it starts to hit that spot that needed it the most. And you know, that's just what I was missing. Even though some a lot of people tried, I have to have an open mind and I have to be willing enough to accept this stuff. I have to understand that it's more than just making my life better because what happened when I first got into the program, I stayed sober for about three years, but, And I really dug in for about a year and then I got, I started a business and then I got the truck back and then, you know, all the wreckage of my past started to clear up. And then I started to feel I didn't quite need this as bad as everybody was saying. And I went on and I started to rely upon human things again. I was relying on the next job and you know what people thought of me and then You know, all this crazy came back and I would show up at meetings just for relief because I needed relief from what was going on here and it would do that. But it's not enough to keep me from having a mental defense against alcohol. It's just it's just not enough. I can't just show up at meetings for relief, for selfish benefits. I go to meetings to carry a message that has been a gift from this program so that I can help other people. There may be the odd time where yeah a meeting made me feel better because I was in a tough situation but that can't be the sole purpose anymore. My life has to be on an altruistic plane in order for me to fully feel recovered and have an open heart and feel love and compassion and the things that this program has to offer. So. Okay. Um you're up. Okay. Yeah, about 20 minutes. Right. On the other hand, yeah. On the other hand, as strange as may, <laughs> this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary that that required to <clears throat> necessary being that required to follow a few a few simple rules. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it is often not enough. One feels that something more than a human power is needed to produce the the essential psychic change. Though the aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric efforts is considerable, we physicians must admit we we have made very little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who have, who had, for example, worked for a period of months on a problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them, they took a drink a day or so prior to the date and the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. Um, The important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape, they were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control.
1: Okay, so basically we talked about the, uh, the need for an entire psychic change. Um, at first I have, a, I'm going to treat my alcoholism with drugs and alcohol. My alcoholism really to me is this crazy shit that goes on up here. And I'm going to treat it with drugs and alcohol because I need relief. But once I put the drugs and, and the drink down, I'm going to treat my alcoholism with defects of character. And that's why we implemented it, and, and I want to ask like you guys to really think about what are you putting in the alcoholic cycle? You know Are you putting porn in there? Are you putting relationships in there? Are you putting anger in there? Are you putting self-pity in there? Well What do you, what do you get relief from? But you're still restless, irritable and discontented? And that is the crux of what we're talking about. That is the spiritual malady. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, we will straighten out mentally and physically. So then we get on to this. On the other hand, as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once you have the psychic change and it's occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he ever despaired of solving, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol and drugs. The only effort necessary is that being required required is a must to follow a few simple rules. The rules are the 12 steps. The rules are the directions contained within the the 12 steps. The rules are the pragmatic practical application of what we're going to get into mostly from step two on. And it's requirement and all of these practical applications actually get us having a working, power working in our lives. Because the theory of God will get me drunk. But a working faith and a higher power is what I need. Because I have no effective mental defense against the first drink or drug. I have no effective mental defense against my defects of character. I have no effective mental defense against my defects of character. And my defects of character Please take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, thy way of life. That's step three. My difficulties are my defects of character that actually cause my difficulties in my life. And in step four, it goes through the, the basic ones, resentments, fears, and sex conduct. So we considered it's common manifestations, just the common ones. Resentment, fears, sex conduct. Step five, we ascertain in a rough way what the basic trouble is. I only ascertain in a rough way what the basic trouble is in my step four. Tells me that rate of five. And I know that because of the amount of work i put into the program in my own life and and helping others. You're only scratching the surface and you're dumping out some garbage in the four and the pot. It's the more subtle ones that really need to be focused in on, but that only comes later. I always say, get through your first set of steps, remove yourself of the problem that you came here with. What would you come here with? I have a drug and alcohol problem, or drugs and or alcohol problem, substance abuse. Well, that's exactly what the book is about, and will enable you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. But if you stick around here long enough, you get through your first set of steps and get sober, don't, don't abandon yourself from the literature and the program, Because the real problem is yet to really be dealt with. Selfish self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Tommy said it, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-pity, self-seeking. And we'll expose these these manifestations of self so that we can sacrifice. Because after all, faith alone is insufficient. To be vital must be accompanied by self-sacrifice sacrificing my my wanting to be angry sacrificing my lust sacrificing my my desire to gamble sacrificing porn for the benefit of me and you and through that process is self-sacrificing but that will come later I just want to kind of foreshadow that anyway so anyway um I'm going to go down halfway through that next paragraph (coughs) on page X, X, I, X. It's about two thirds of the way down. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Yeah. What are we talking about? The psychic change is the change in my way of living and thinking. And I can't just change the way I live and think without help of a higher power. I have all of these things deeply ingrained in me, and I can't just want to ch- change them. I can want to change them, but they're not going to change. I can have moral and philosophical convictions galore, but I cannot live up to them even though I would like to. What does that mean? It means I can want to be a better father and a better husband and a better person. I can, I can follow these moral and philosophical ideas. I can read these books where it talks about me being a better person, but I still act the same way. Why can't I change? Well, in my opinion, it's because I need God and I need willingness. And I need persistent, consistent commitment to change. Um, next sentence, though the aggregate of recoveries, aggregate means, aggregate doesn't mean rocks, although in construction, aggregate means rock. What aggregate means here is aggregate means combined, okay? <laughs> Through, though the combined aggregate of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit, we had made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. The doctor is saying, although we have a lot of psychological data that we've collected from psychiatrists and psychologists and, and mental aspects, we have made little impression upon the problem of alcoholism, addiction, spiritual malady as a whole. So they've got a lot of data, but it doesn't work. And, And I, and I've heard a lot of the sponsees I've worked with say, I've spent even Tommy's one. I spent hundreds and thousands and thousands of dollars on psychiatrists and psychologists. And I don't get what I get from you and your average, your average Sponsee or spons- uh, or struggling out, al- alcoholic addict. They're going to look for every softer, easier way. And society's trained us that psychologists and psychiatrists are the way to go. But if they're the real deal, alcoholic, you suffer from anxiety and stress and all these things, and you need to get it off your chest. You're going to go see a psychiatrist and psychologist. Go ahead. You'll end up coming back here. Because that's all symptoms of alcoholism. And if you can get some time in and work on the spiritual malady, eventually, if you still suffer from some of those things, go get outside help. But I don't know how many times I've had, heard someone say, I've, I have anxiety. But what it really was is untreated alcoholism. I have self-pity. I have all these things. Really what it is is untreated alcoholism. It's, it's running the show still. Anyway. Um, next page, XXX, the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. we already discussed it. You're not drinking to escape anymore. You put the first one in you, you're not drinking to escape life anymore. And just getting that ease and comfort. You're, You're drinking to overcome a craving beyond your mental control. You have an utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish. And in We Agnostic, it describes it perfectly in the first paragraph. If when you honestly want to, you cannot stop drinking entirely. Have you ever tried to swear off entirely and not not drink anymore or use drugs? Or while drinking or using, you had little control in the amount you take? Then you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience can conquer. And those two things are so vital to understanding what, what we're dealing with. I tried to swear off many times. I'm quitting, I'm done. Firm resolution not to do it again. But this was repeated over and over and over. Same with drugs. And when I did take drugs, I couldn't control the amount I take. I'm just gonna have a fucking, I need to get the edge off, give me the crack pipe five days later and $6,000. I needed the edge off. I just wanted a hoot. But there's like, you know, it's insanity. It's insanity. Anyway, that's it. Okay, so here we go. We're going to flip into another piece of the book um, as we read this. Anyway, there are many situations which arise out of phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. So there are many situations that will arise out of this phenomenon of craving that, that make people take the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. What are we talking about? Anybody?
0: Suicide. Suicide. Ending.
1: Yeah. So lots of pe- more people die sober of suicide than, than they do actually drinking. Um, but out of the phenomenon of craving, based on they have an utter inability to leave it alone. But they can't leave it alone, but they can't not leave it alone. We, we don't know what to do. We get to a place where we just, we need to end it. And the vision for you describes it perfectly. So what I wanna do, just to highlight this, is go to page 136. So chapter 10 to the employer, second paragraph. I was at one-time assistant manager of a corporation department employing 6,600 men. One day my secretary came in saying that Mr. B insisted on speaking with me. I told her to say that I was not interested. I had warned him several times that he had but one more chance. Not long afterward, he had called me from Hartford on two successive days, so drunk he could hardly speak. I told him he was through, finally and forever. My secretary returned to say that it was not Mr. B on the phone, it was Mr. B's brother, and he had wished to give me a message. I still expected a plea of clemency, but these words came through the receiver. I just wanted to tell you that Paul jumped from a hotel window in Hartford last Saturday. He left us a note saying that you were the best boss he had ever had and that you were not to blame in any way. Another time, I opened a letter which lay on my desk of a newspaper clipping fellow. It was an obituary of one of the best salesmen I had ever had. After two weeks of drinking, he had placed the toe on the trigger of a loaded shotgun. The barrel was in his mouth. I discharged him for drinking six weeks before. Still another experience, a woman's voice came faintly over a long distance from Virginia. She wanted to know if her husband's company insurance was still in force. Four days before he had hanged himself in his woodshed, I had obliged to discharge him for drinking, though he was a brilliant and alert and one of the best organizers I had ever known. So... That's why we're doing this. And those three examples in the big book are examples of suicide because of the phenomenon of craving. But what I also want to highlight here is I was walking dead, man. I I was dead living. and, And I didn't know how to escape it. And for the first time in my life, I had thought of suicide a few times. And I wasn't one of those guys that would go to suicide. But after a while, I didn't know what to do. And even if you're not dead six feet under, you're dead inside. And I think that might even be worse. You know, trying to raise families and and be this person and feeling the way that you feel. It's almost worse than being dead. But there is a solution here. And, and it's contained within the, the action part of what we're talking about. So I, I just wanted to read that. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We're all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. There's the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking, he changes his brown or his environment. There is the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is the manic depressive type who is perhaps at least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter can be written. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect and in the effect alcohol has upon them. They're often able, intelligent, and friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. So it doesn't matter which one you are. Honestly, like you, you take a guy through the book and they're like, oh, which one am I? Which one am I? It doesn't fucking matter. Why? They have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving, period. It doesn't matter what kind you are. And it doesn't matter how you became alcoholic or addict. It doesn't matter. If you go through the first 51 pages, or whatever step one is in this book, and you know that you're one. Doesn't matter how you became one. Doesn't matter if your dad was one, or or if you just got it out of fluke, or maybe you crossed the line. Doesn't matter. From that point on, all that matters is is how do I how do I medicate this problem I have. So don't debate it anymore. Just accept it, and and move on, because it really doesn't matter. Um. The phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. For new people, this is very difficult to to accept you're an alcoholic and you're a distinct entity or an addict, distinct entity, that you're powerless. You have lost the power and choice of drink or drug and that, that you're now segregated to be you know, an alcoholic addict, you're sentenced to like AA or NA or whatever. It's really important to understand that, that we are different and that we need this solution. And as, as you practice this program and you make it the number one thing in your life, to me, it actually enhances everything else in my life. But for the first bit, I tried to separate the program. Tommy, you
0: got any experience with separating the program? Yeah, absolutely. I, <clears throat> I, um, yeah, like I mentioned before, I mean, it was, uh, it was one of those things where I didn't bring the program into my work. I didn't practice these principles because, and, and part of it, I mean, I was hanging out with a guy who said, you know, AA is for that, but you can't bring it into business because it just doesn't work, which he was totally wrong about because, I mean, and step later on it asks, God is either everything or he's nothing. What is your choice to be? Well, I need to bring this into my family. I need to bring, but I didn't bring, I didn't practice this stuff at home. I didn't practice this stuff at work. I went to meetings and spit out a bunch of bullshit that I thought was the program and listened to some stuff that made sense. And I got some relief and then I carried on. Um, but I didn't actually practice this stuff in my life. You know, as we go through the book, we're gonna to start to see what it actually takes to groove this stuff into your life so that you can actually use it to develop better relationships because that's a huge problem for us. You know, we don't really know how to develop a proper relationship at this point. And um, this program will teach me. And what are my relationships? They're everything. My kids, my wife, the people at work, the people just I run into in my daily life, you know, new people I meet, people I need to help, it is actually my entire life. Other than the time I spend by myself in prayer and meditation and all these things so that I can start to develop a better connection with myself and start to love myself so that I can love others. But this program teaches me how to do that. But I do absolutely need to bring this into my life. Because, you know, I, I just can't use God as a league pinch hitter, as it says in the book. I can't just call upon him or it when it's, when it's convenient for me or when I feel desperate enough that I should say a prayer, you know, um, it's just not enough. It needs to become a working part of my mind and you know, the love and compassion and stuff, this stuff starts to happen naturally when I put in the actions that connect me with a higher power. I don't have to try and love someone. I don't have to try and be compassionate. I don't have to practice empathy. It happens naturally. Because when all the fear and the judgment and all the shit that's keeping me from connecting with you is dealt with through this process, love's already here, compassion's already here. It doesn't go away, it just gets covered up. Covers up, but covered up by years of you know, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, use use of drugs and alcohol. And all the things that we do, the remorse, this is what covers up our natural state of being. Deep down in every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God: love and compassion. You know, these are the essential things that I need to build relationships. And this is what happens when I really groove this stuff into my life. But I have no idea how to do that when I get here. And like I said, you know, um, you know, I, I just think about that when when these guys would go to the doctor and they said, I cannot go on with like this, you must help me. And this guy dedicates his life to alcoholics and drug addicts and he can't help them. He's human. There's no human power that can help us. You know, we can rely on our sponsor as they're connected with God first, but we need to build that connection to actually recover from a hopeless state of mind and body. And that's why we're here tonight. We're here for the benefit of you guys. We're here for, because the book tells us to do this stuff. And if we do this stuff, we have a better chance of staying sober. We have a better chance of building good relationships. We have a better chance of building good character. And we have a better chance of being useful in society and out there, not just in the meetings, but out there as well. At work, at home, you know, with everybody around me. So that's, uh, that's all I got there.
1: Okay. I'm just going to finish off this page and let Tommy take the next one. Uh, it has never been by any treatment, which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So there's no treatment that can eradicate this disease. The only, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Yeah, that's great. But but you can't just be abstinent on your own. <laughs> that, that's the thing. Entire abstinence is great in theory, you know, just don't drink and you don't get drunk. Well, how do you not drink? I have an utter inability to leave it alone. Well, that's where step two comes in. The best part of step one is step two. And and as I develop this, this connection with just a willingness to, it starts coming like Tommy says, and, and you don't have to be anything you just live that way and things get better. This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con amongst physicians. The general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. And when you look at the word doomed, it says certain to fail, die, or be destroyed. That's if the doctor came to you and you, you know, he checks you out and says, you know what, you got alcoholism. Here's your prognosis. You're certain to fail die or be destroyed that's that's quite a prognosis but the next page says well what's the solution and there is a solution and it starts in the chapter there is a solution and then it moves forward from there um but uh yeah so that's where we're at uh we've got about 10 minutes left of what we're reading and then we're going to be
0: done and uh we'll come back next Sunday. Go ahead, Tom. Okay, so what is the solution? Perhaps I can better answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man brought to me in to be treated with chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him, there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he came to see me and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partially recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck, had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his uh, situation hopeless had hidden in a des- deserted barn, determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in a desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me, <clears throat> which he frankly stated he thought that treatment was a waste of effort, unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist an impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex, his depression so great, That we felt the only hope would be through what we called moral psychology, but we doubted that would even have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then is a fine specimen of a manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through and through. And though perhaps you came to saw, scoff, you may re- remain to pray. Okay, well, there's a couple little things, but uh,
1: we're short on time. So we covered pretty much everything. Um, we're going to be back next Sunday at 7. And we will be doing uh, There's a Solution. So I guess, what do we do? Just uh, shoot out our email?
0: Um, <clears throat> yeah, so related we just have a, a email dedicated to this group and hang on patrick yeah if anyone has any questions or concerns or whatever
1: email us or usually we'll give a little bit of time at the end of our session just tonight we can't because on this channel there's a speaker meeting and there's also a meeting here every single night at 9:30. so if anyone ever wants to come for a meeting there's always one it's open to all 12-step fellowships and uh You know if you like what we did tonight pass on the uh the meeting info and if you didn't then uh you know what wish
0: you the best (laughs) yeah and so if you guys want to hang out we do have a guest speaker on this channel from vancouver um and we're super excited for that as well so just more recovery so fill your fill your head with recovery tonight and you're gonna have a great week
1: and thank you all for coming and i like totally Holy totally stoked to have you here. And um, no matter how many people are here, this is going to continue. And uh, it'll continue for about 16 weeks. You will need a 12 and 12, though. So so grab that up. And uh, the very last session will be Bill's story. We tie the whole program in together at the, in the last session on the 16th week or so. Um, so, yeah, that's it.
0: Cool. Right I on, so. you guys. It was a really good first uh first session we'll have the uh, technical difficulty sorted out next time <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> thanks yeah, for was coming everybody time. thank yes, you stick around thanks bill thing. thanks stick tommy
1: thank you bill thank-